Welcome to the Occult London Podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write us a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I'd love to answer them, so please do reach out. If you have any questions, my Facebook is on the show notes, or alternatively, you can email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on the seven planets of the ancient world and their significance in planetary magic with a discussion on the moon, Selena or Luna. Adoration or veneration of the moon has been a huge aspect of daily living around the world really since the dawn of time. The sacredness of the moon is very much connected with the rhythms of the universe and life as it's really that ephemeral rhythm that affects all beings upon this planet. The moon has also become very important in spiritual and magical practices and also mainstream culture as well as being enriched in symbolism, mythology and magic and the moon is also very much representative of both the emotional and the magical power but also that deep dark unconscious that exists within each of us and also that sort of really that kind of dark karmic energy that is sitting there behind because it's really the closest planet to Earth and it has a huge influence on our planet. The moon is very strongly connected to its role as a leader of rhythmic change and the rhythmic life of the cosmos and it's really believed to govern all change which is represented by the tides of the sea and obviously the water in our bodies. We are made up of huge volumes of water within our bodies. The famous magician um, Cornelius Agrippa, who I'm a big fan of, describes the moon as follows. By the moon, a peacemaking consonancy, fecundity, the power of generation and of growing greater, of increasing and decreasing, and a moderate temperance and faith, which being conversant in manifest and occult things, yieldeth direction to all. Also motion to the tiling of the earth for the manner of life and giving growth to itself and others. That's a quote by Cornelius Agrippa. The famous astrologer William Lilly also described the moon as well from his book Christian Astrology from 1647. This is the embodiment of measured change of the birth, life and death of all the beings and things, knowledge of the secrets of the moon, brings success in travel and increase of psychic ability. The gravity of the moon influences the tides of the Earth's oceans. The moon also pulls on the water in our own bodies and the etheric and also our astral and spiritual bodies. And the moon is also meant to really affect our intuition, our psychic ability. The cyclical process of the moon is also very important from this point of view. It appears and it disappears at different times of the month 
and I think this is might be one of the main reasons why it's been very closely associated with the land of the dead, a place where souls ascend to after death and also the power of rebirth. The lunar changes and the cycle is obviously also associated with the fates and destiny and also the sacred mother, so the sacred feminine and motherhood in all its aspects. Mythology of the moon emphasizes the periods when it disappears. So obviously you get the three days of darkness in the lunar cycle and the eclipse. And these dark days are sometimes referred to in some cultures as being when the moon is in battle with a monster or a demon who slays and devours the moon and then who later regurgitates it and revives it. This dark period is often seen as being a time in some cultures where there are strict taboos against doing anything new or you know you don't start any creative projects at that time because it was considered bad so things like planting plants or sexual intercourse for instance would be um, something you would avoid during that kind of dark period of the moon. Lunar deities, gods and goddesses who personify the moon are also you know comparatively rare compared to obviously the sun. Um, in ancient primitive cultures the moon is often regarded as male so obviously we get ideas like the man and the moon um, and it was also seen as kind of quite negative towards women but in the agricultural societies the moon is, starts to be seen as more female and the, really the ruler of that cyclical vegetative process, the agricultural process. The word moon is derived from the Old English, mona, which, like most of its German cognates, stems from the Proto-Germanic menon, which in turn comes from the Proto-Indo-European mensis, meaning month. So obviously we get this idea of the moon as being this measure of time. However, the moon has also been referred to as luna from the Latin as well as Cynthia Selene and is described by William Lilly as the moon we find called by the ancients Lucina, Cynthia, Diana, Phoebe, Latona, Noctiluca, Prosepony. She is nearest to the earth of all the planets. The symbol of the moon is a crescent-shaped disc going either towards the left or the right. And this beautiful silver disc is set into a sky of deep dark blue, deep dark black. And it really indicates this idea of this unmanifest or the world of the imagination peering through the clouds. Or also a hint of the glimpses of the dream world we see when we are asleep. It also shows us that cyclical nature of the moon, waxing and waning, forever changing, very similar to our emotions. From a physical point of view, the moon is a gravity-rounded astronomical body orbiting the Earth and is really the Earth's only natural satellite, so relative to the size of the planet it orbits. The moon after Jupiter Jupiter's satellite Io is the second densest satellite in the solar system. The planet of the moon is thought to have been formed about 4.51 billion years ago 
um, not long after the Earth, and the Moon is also possibly thought to have been formed from the debris left after a giant impact between the Earth and the meteorites. The Moon is in a synchronous rotation with the Earth, and so always the same side shows to us the near side. And because of this phenomena, which is known as libration, only about 59% of the surface of the Moon can be seen from the Earth. The side that faces us, as we know, is obviously filled with lots of cracks, there's craters, there's all of that stuff, mountains, you know, named after different people. Um, but we don't know what's on the other side, so that's you know, a fascinating um, thing to think about. After the Sun, the Moon is the second brightest object visible from Earth in the sky. However, its surface is actually very dark and reflective surface is just above that asphalt level. The average orbital distance of the Moon is 384,402 kilometers or 238,856 miles or 1.28 light seconds and this is roughly about 30 times the diameter of the earth the apparent size of the moon from where we are sitting um, from the earth is actually it's all it looks almost like the same as the sun since the sun is about 400 times the lunar distance and diameter so the moon actually pretty much covers the sun exactly during a total solar eclipse which is really interesting and visually, it looks very big in the sky, but actually it's very small compared to the sun. So this is quite interesting from the point of view of um, the moon being attributed to the, the realm of dreams and illusion, because you've got this idea of the moon actually covering the sun. And in the same way that we have you know, negative um, emotions or dreams that will actually slowly kind of start to cloud our judgment, we become irrational. Um, lunacy that's very much the same thing so if the sun can be seen as our rational mind the moon is very much that unconscious uh, drive instinctual aspect that we may potentially lose control of or it could potentially cover that clearer thinking represented by the sun from a calendar point of view the moon is very significant as the natural progression and phases make it very effective natural calendar so you see that in different cultures including uh, things like tally sticks or notched bones which date back to 30,000 years ago and believed to mark some phases of the moon the 30-day month is also an approximation of the lunar cycle the English noun month comes from the proto-germanic Menoth connected to the moon and you've also got in the 7th century Islamic calendar which is purely lunar as well. From a mythological point of view the moon um, since the dawn of time has really been seen as being a symbol of time changing and also the cycle of death life and rebirth and also destruction and this is um, something that's quite interesting from that point of view because it always carries this air of mystery about it so it appears at night during the time when we are unconscious and when we're asleep when we're defenseless in our beds this great silver disc is in the sky outside and it's changing its form every few days 
So going from a new moon to a full moon to waning and then back to darkness again. The sun on the other hand obviously does stay the same and you know we always rely on the sun. No one actually thinks oh maybe the sun's not going to be coming up today. Um, you know you just assume it will but the moon is going to be completely different every single day. And it may be due to that ever-changing nature that many of the different myths and legends have built up around the moon you know ranging from uh, the man in the moon to the story in japan that the moon is a rabbit who carries a drink that brings immortality we also have the um, story of the word lunatic coming from the word lunar because it was believed that people were more likely to exhibit strange and eccentric behavior during a full moon also animals are meant to be affected by the moon and this is quite interesting. I was doing some research on this and there was a, a doctor called Dr. Frank Brown from Northwestern University who reported that hamsters were spinning in their cages more aggressively uh, during the full moon and also uh, on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, that's the mating season when it's the, the full moon um, for the coral. Another worthy mention from that point of view is also Robert Louis Stevenson's um, excellent book, Case the Case of Jekyll and Hyde, which was apparently inspired by the story of a real-life murderer who was killed, um, who killed people out of the full moon. Um, interesting note on that, though. Um, apparently that story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde actually came to Stevenson in a nightmare, and he spent the next three days writing down this 30,000-word story. So it really captivates that creative power, that connection between the moon and the sun, and that creative power that we've got hiding inside ourselves. The moon also has many different legends associated with it, and in many ancient and prehistoric cultures, the moon was personified as a deity, and often female. And this is a few examples of some of the ways that the moon was deified over the centuries. So in ancient Sumeria, the Sumerians believed the moon was the god Nana, who is the father of Inanna, the goddess of the planet Venus. Nana was later known as Sin and is also associated with magic and was also represented by a crescent. So you've got that representative over the moon. The ancient Egyptians worshipped the god Khonsu as a god of the moon and also uh, a god of time. And he's a fascinating god. His cult centre was at Thebes, where he lived essentially in a triad with Amun and Mut. Khonsu is one of the companions of Thoth, and it was thought he could influence the fertility of people and also their cows and their livestock and their sheep as well as being a driver out of evil spirits. In Egypt, Thoth was also considered a sacred god of the moon and the crescent moon, which looks a bit like an ibis, was associated particularly strongly with Thoth. Another clue to Thoth's connection with the moon is also the fact that one of his titles was the Reckoner of Time and of Seasons. And he was also known as the god of magic, which is obviously very relevant to the moon from a Kabbalistic perspective if we think about the sphere of Yesod.
also in Egypt is we have Bastet as well or Bast who is a, an awesome goddess and she's a fierce lioness or cat goddess who's the Egyptian goddess of the home domesticity fertility and childbirth and obviously also more from the feminine side as well and she was meant to protect the home from evil spirits and disease as well as anything connected with women and children in ancient Egypt also although Isis is not directly related to the moon during um, she did come later on uh, to be more associated with the moon particularly during the Hellenistic Alexandrian period of syncretism which is essentially combining elements of Artemis and Isis together also from a magical perspective the waning and the waxing of the moon can be seen as being this kind of wounding and healing of the eye of Horus so perhaps in some ways we can see as the beautiful goddess Isis as being the mother of the moon and that's something I've always worked with uh, in my personal practice moving on to the uh, Greco-Roman uh, mythology the sun and the moon are represented as male and female so you have Helios Sol and Selena Luna and that's quite interesting from that point of view of uh, you know the sun being a man and the, and the woman uh, the, the loon the moon sorry being a woman and then that kind of carries on from that the ancient Greeks obviously and I know most people probably know about this associated the moon with the goddess Artemis who is the sister of Apollo and also with Hecate Cynthia and Selene and the moon goddess Selene was also represented with a crescent on her head according to the Greek myth of Endymion and Selene the moon Selene falls in love with a handsome young king called Endymion and bears him 50 daughters one version of the story says that Selene places Endymion in eternal sleep to prevent him from dying and to keep him forever beautiful which really shows the idea of the moon as this enchantress, this weaver of illusions. The Aztecs in Mexico also called the moon Mictacacuatile, so I can't pronounce that, and they believed it basically travelled through the night sky hunting victims to consume. So again, that's quite interesting. You've got this concept of the moon as being the sort of negative um, hunter, um, through the sky whereas the sun is this life giver and yeah the early Hindus also believed that souls of the dead return to the moon to wait uh, rebirth and the Incas of South America also talk about um, a brother and a sister so the moon maiden and the sun man who are the ancestors of the royal Incas and in the Mayan writing system a symbol showing the moon goddess seated inside the moon was used before um, the names of lots of the noble women and the priestesses etc of that society. In the Celtic tradition um, Caridwen is the Welsh goddess of the moon um, or she also looks after music she also looks after earth death and fertility and she is the mother of a apparently very ugly and hideous child who's known as Morfran and also a beautiful daughter 
called Crowey. And sorry if I'm not pronouncing these Gaelic names correctly. Caradwen is meant to um, own a cauldron of poetic inspiration, which was known as an Arwen. And she was seen as the Celtic goddess of rebirth, transformation and inspiration. And so you see this um, aspect of crone, mother aspects of the goddess. The Roman name for the moon was Luna. And this obviously represented the divine embodiment of the moon. And Luna was also sometimes presented by the Romans as being the female complement of the sun. So you have Sol and also an aspect of the triple goddess, which is Diva Thryformis, along with Persephone and Hecate. And um, yes, yeah, so that's just some of the kind of mythology of the moon. I mean, there's an awful lot out there. So if you are interested in finding out more about that, then, you know, by all means, have a look out there. The moon is such a big aspect to all human beings on the earth that um, you know this this is really kind of a huge thing it's been part of most cultures and most mythologies so as we've seen the moon has a tremendous importance over the centuries to a large variety of different, different cultures and it still plays a huge part in you know spiritual practices magic paganism today depending on whether the moon is waxing waning or full um, there is meant to be a different effect um, from a magical point of view. And this is something that the great magician William Gray um, writes about. And he's one of my favourite authors. And I just wanted to quote this. The moon and magic have been inseparable from ancient times. And there are endless spells and customs connected with the lunar influence on humanity. Some of these are still current in practical Kabbalism, but the important philosophical principle concerned is that the moon is the reflector of the sun. No one can look directly at the sun without risking blindness, but the moon can be seen clearly enough. Thus, it symbolises a quality of divine mercy in adapting the overpowering light of truth into more diffuse and softer rays, which our human natures can comfortably bear. And that's a quote from William Gray. From a magical perspective, the moon is usually associated with the Sephirah Yesod, as well as being the goddess and the divine feminine, or Shekinah, which means to dwell. Through through the oceans so the control of the oceans and the different phases so obviously you have these concepts like mother maiden and crone um, the moon is also seen to a certain extent as being a dwelling place for the sun's light so obviously the light we see on the moon is reflective of the sun so it's this nice concept of the moon almost taking in that solar energy and transforming it into something else when the light is growing the moon is waxing and when it's fading it's known as waning and from a magical perspective waning energy is often used to banish and dispel whereas waxing is to draw and bring things towards us so likewise when the moon is waxing it was considered to be a time for white magic which would be things like healing and positive things 
whereas waxing is more to do with black or dark. This is something Donald Michael Craig talks about in relation to the creation of talismans, which I wanted to just quote. The moon representing the goddess aspect of divinity was seen to be a key force in magic of all kinds. The phases of the moon were guides as to what your magic could do. During the waxing moon, the period from first light of the new moon to the full moon, magic should be done to draw things towards you. The strength of the moon will be at its height at the moment of the full moon. Therefore, talismans should be made during the waxing moon and amulets should be made during the waning moon. And what he's talking about there is, as I said, talismans are normally designed to draw things towards us. And I'll do an episode on talismans, but um, they're typically something that you would do um, to say you wanted money, for instance, or you wanted to attract more love into your life. You would do a talisman, which would draw those energies towards you. Whereas an amulet is slightly different because an amulet is more of a protective function. So it's more to potentially sort of help you get rid of something or potentially to guard you from something. So sometimes you'd see amulets on on doors and things like that uh, in old buildings. So it's this idea of guarding and protecting that place from a certain influence. And this idea of the different phases is very important in relation to guarding as well. And um, Martha White writes about this in her Old Farmer's Almanac, which is quite an interesting read. The new and first quarter phases, known as the light of the moon, are considered good for planting above-ground crops, putting down sod, grafting trees and transplanting. From full moon through the last quarter, all the dark of the moon is the best time for killing weeds, thinning, pruning, mowing, cutting timber and planting below ground crops. So as we can see from that quote from Martha um, White, it's, it's very much, to, you know, it really has an effect on the gardening aspects as well. So as well as the, the waxing and the waning aspects of the lunar cycle, it's also divided into different sections are well as well, which are part of that 28-day cycle during which the moon moves through the 12 signs of the zodiac. And these are basically first quarter, second quarter, third quarter and fourth quarter. The first quarter of the moon is known as the waxing moon um, or the new moon. And we see a very small slither of little light um, on the right side of the moon. This is typically uh, in pagan traditions symbolized by the um, the goddess Artemis or the maiden and if you look at the shape of it it also looks a little bit like a bow so people have associated that with the silver bow of Artemis as being this um, you know beautiful goddess who protects children who protects the home and also protects the wild animals and um, obviously the Roman equivalent with that would be Diana then we move on to the second quarter which is the sort of halfway and this is where, you know, that thin sliver, that child, that um, new moon was just beginning to kind of grow in its power and it's starting to get bigger and bigger now. And that is closely associated with the mother. And if you think about the mother as being, 
you know the maiden being uh, pregnant and then you know they're beginning to grow and grow it's the same as same kind of idea really it's this concept of pregnancy and fruition of power that's growing and so mother goddess is associated with this particular quarter things like selene or luna in the in the in the kind of uh, roman tradition and in that second quarter you also get the the full moon as well which is when that whole thing is just really started to um go to the maximum power really when all the power is is turned on and it's completely at its huge huge power and you've got all this um you know huge lunar energies going everywhere and the full moon is really the most powerful time when magic uh, is going to work and when the full moon reaches its zenith at midnight that is when you know that's the most powerful time to do magic and why traditionally if you look at a lot of the old books it talks about the midnight hour as being this powerful time because that is when the moon is at its strongest and those energies are at their strongest so you can use them and then we move into the third quarter which is when it's beginning to wane so obviously it's a sad time it's it's had its full life and now it's starting to fade back and then the fourth quarter which is associated with the crone or from a uh, if you looked at it from a kind of Arthurian tradition you'd look at it like Kundry who's this sort of hideous hag um, who kind of physically is is you know aged aged and decrepit all that stuff but inside has this beautiful maiden within her and I think that's a nice way of thinking about the cycle of the moon that you've got these this different aspects that's swinging through from all of them and um, the fourth quarter obviously it's associated with the dark and you know the dark of the moon um, very closely connected with goddesses like Hecate uh, crone goddesses you've also got Kundri from the grail cycle um, but that would be a very good time to do protection work or banishment work um, for amulets um, obviously from a magical point of view Monday is the day of the moon so a really nice way of connecting with the planetary energies is to do a planetary prayer or an invocation to the planets on the day dedicated to it and these can be made up or you can use the Orphic hymns or planetary prayers I particularly like the the Orphic hymns um, also the Hygromantia um, prayers are really nice as well for a sort of daily practice um, the Hygromantia is a grimoire from the 15th century it was also known as the magical treaties of solomon and includes lots of instructions on divination you've got the use of her plants and herbs astrology as well as the principles of magic and i just wanted to quickly read the prayer for monday just to just to see just to give you a bit of a flavor of what these prayers are like lord almighty Supreme Creator, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who created and fashioned man, who embellished the heavens with stars and adorned to the earth with flowers and animals, before the sight of whose power every creature visible or invisible shivers and trembles, I, your unworthy servant beg you and I entreat you to hear me and subdue 
to me. The virtue of this planet, Lady Luna, the order and the knowledge of the world, the figure of the heaven, the consolation of the night and the queen of the constrained spirits. Lady Luna, the indication of time, the sign of all celebrations and festivals. I conjure you, Luna, by the high throne of God, by the solar rays, by the rest of God, by the cherubim and the seraphim, by all the orders of the holy angels, and in the following names, Kaliomo, Galagiel, Benoiel, Agramoel, Adakael, Thaleo, Raphael, Zigothel, Galael. Turn back your foul fortune from me and bring me only good fortune. Amen. That's a quote, which is the prayer of Monday from the Higromantia, which, um, as I said, it's a nice way of connecting with the planet in an easy way um, to begin with. You don't want to kind of go crazy with, um, you know, planetary stuff straight away. So a good way of actually connecting with it is just to start working closely. You can do like the Orphic hymns are really nice as well as a way of connecting in with that that planet on a, on a on a daily basis and just kind of really think about it just meditate on that image if you've got a picture of the moon you can always hold that in front of you or a really great way is to actually sit outside so sit outside on a moon at night and just feel those rays it's similar to the way you would do sunbathing just bathe in that light and just feel that moonlight filling your body and you can actually use that in conjunction with breathing as well. So you're just breathing that lunar power in and have it filling your body. Um, so just to finish as well, I mean, the great poet Rumi once said, there is a moon inside every human being. Learn to be companions with it. And this really encapsulates my thoughts on the moon the moon magically obviously represents the darkness and the unpredictability the emotional and illusions that lie within us and the moon also represents the stuff that we don't want everyone to see so it's that crap that we keep in our garage that stuff that we tuck under the bed you know those boxes of things that we hide in the attic the moon represents the you know that side of our personality the hidden side that we rarely show even to you know our most loved ones so when we work with the moon it's about diving deep into that ocean of the unconscious and beginning to draw out some of the insights that lie within it so it's about facing our fears facing that shadow so that the bright side of our personality the sun and the moon can be united as one. To finish, I just wanted to quick to um, read a poem by Dion Fortune from the Sea Priestess, which I think really kind of encapsulates for me that magical energy of the moon. And it goes like this. I am the star that rises from the sea, the twilight sea. I bring men dreams that rule their destiny. 
I bring the dream tides to the souls of men. The tides that ebb and flow and ebb again. These are my secrets, these belong to me. I am the eternal woman, I am she. The tides of all men's souls belong to me. The tides that ebb and flow and ebb again. The silent inward tides that govern men. These are my secrets, these belong to me. Out of my hands he takes his destiny. Touch of my hands confers polarity. These are the moon tides, these belong to me. Hera in heaven, on earth Persephone, Levana of the tides and Hecate, Diana of the moon, star of the sea, Isis unveiled and Ea Bina gay. And that's a quote from Sea Priestess, The Unfortune. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London podcast. Hope you have enjoyed it as much as I have. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show.